Now, introduction, very brief. Uh, we have been looking at several parts in the book of Revelation chapter 13. Now, you know that uh, those of you who have been connected with us, this is not our main focus, but we have been going through the book of Revelation. I was hoping to get through it in a couple years. <laughs> I think we're on track to do that. That being said, we are just finishing up a section in Revelation 13 that helps us understand. You may be aware of a lot of interesting ideas today. So if you've heard this before, God bless you. And I hope that you hear something new. If you haven't heard this before, I think this will probably be one of the most fascinating things you maybe have heard. Before I start, I'd like to ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Father, I recognize whenever I stand here that it is your words that have power and not my thoughts. And I'm asking for your Holy Spirit, for myself and for each of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing faithful when things get hot, I think you can tell where we're going to be having our study from today. But before we get to our study, I'd like to start with an introduction, and that is very simple. What is the mark of the beast? If you're hoping I will answer it, the answer is I'm not going to today. But I'd like to look at a few things, if you don't mind, as we jump into this. Um, what do most people think the mark is? A chip. A chip um, how many of you have heard the number 666? That is often a common response. Uh, the mark must be 666 uh, or something associated with it. Uh, if, I, if you don't mind, Revelation 13, 18 says, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, not the mark of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 600, three score, and six. Six, six, six. It's the number of a man. It's not the mark of the beast. I just thought I'd clarify uh, that point. When we are studying, and here's a principle be very uh, helpful. When you and I are studying the Bible, we don't ask, um, what does it mean? Let me clarify. Sometimes a person will go to the scripture and say, okay, what does it mean? And they'll just guess. Hmm, dragon is China. So therefore, China is out to attack the woman. And this is some woman who's winning, running through the wilderness. I don't know. Do we, do we interpret it like that? Do we just pull out of the sky and guess? No, of course not. What we do is we ask this question, what does it, that is the Bible, say? Let the Bible speak for itself. Because when you let the Bible speak for itself, it, it takes away some of those interesting things that happen. Um, you know, we're not Hollywood. The Bible's not Hollywood. Although sometimes what they say, fact is stranger than fiction, isn't it? And some of the things we're going to be looking at may come across that way, but we're going to let the Bible do its speaking. When we are looking at the subject of the mark of the beast, and uh, by the way, this is probably one of the most common ideas right now, is it's, it's some kind of chip connected with coronavirus vaccination. This is the big thing that I've been hearing now. Maybe some of you have heard it as well, right? And so this is a common thing that's being shared, there's a few questions I think it would be good for us to ask. 
when we want to understand the mark of the beast. First of all, we should know who is the beast. Does that make sense? If the mark is the mark of the beast, we should know who the beast is if we wish to know what the mark is. Yes? Also, we should know who will enforce the mark. And we're going to look at that briefly. Uh, By the way, did we look at who is the beast? We've actually discussed this in a topic four weeks ago. The reason why it's important for that topic is to help us understand the next one. Who is going to enforce the mark? We looked at that last week. What is the issue surrounding the mark? That's the subject of today's study. We're not going to look at the mark is. We're going to look at the issue surrounding the mark. And we're going to use an Old Testament story, actually, that I believe John is referring to under inspiration and revelation to help us understand. So um, just a few things as we get started. Uh, what is a beast? We've looked at this so many times. We're nailing. I want to make sure it's crystal clear. The beast is not an end-time individual that comes up who has a scary-looking face. Okay? That is not what the beast is according to the Bible. A beast according to the Bible, uh, it says here in Daniel 7:17, these great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. It says here in Daniel 7:23, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. So a beast is a, a nation, a kingdom, if you will. Uh, that's what the Bible uses to interpret a beast. We do the same thing in our cultures today. All right. So I'd like to read through Revelation chapter 13, starting with verse 11. If you could follow along with me, this is just a uh, very brief section here. We've already gone through this, but I'd like us to note something that stands out. Revelation chapter 13, and we'll start with verse 11. As I read through, I'm going to put something up on the screen, and that'll be a main point that comes from that reading. So the first verse, starting verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spake like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on, the, on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So the first thing we will see is there are two beasts or kingdoms in Revelation chapter 13. Let's look. Let's continue reading. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he had granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had wounded by a sword and live. So that second beast, the lamb-like beast, makes an image to the first beast. Let's continue reading. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The lamb-like beast is going to command image worship of some kind. The next, we will continue. Also, those who refuse the worship, did you notice this? Are threatened with death. Let's continue with verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads. There it is. So that's where the mark is introduced. There is a worldwide event. How many people are included? He causes all. And then the last one, uh, we've looked at that verse already. The number 666 
is connected in some way to this false worship. Those are six points that we see as we go through Revelation chapter 13. There's much more than that, but I'm pulling on those six for a reason. The book of Revelation is actually built upon the imagery, um, history, and prophecy that's found in the Old Testament. Many scholars, as they go on through Revelation, say it's very simple. Revelation is more than half from the Old Testament. Uh, 274 verses out of 404 are actually taken in part or whole from the Old Testament. So if you and I want to understand, okay, what's happening in Revelation, we are going to look at the Old Testament to help explain the imagery. The person who wrote, John, was writing under inspiration, and he was writing to people who understood the Bible. And so when they read the imagery, they didn't have to guess, mm, is this Nero? Mm, maybe this is, no. What they could do is they actually could go straight to the Old Testament and say, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. A dragon is a symbol of when Satan uses a nation. Oh, I get it. We saw it with Egypt. We see it with, oh, that makes sense. Oh, I can see that a lion with eagle's wings. Oh, actually, that's Daniel, sorry. I can see um, some other things here when I'm studying Revelation are connected with the Old Testament. This is one of the key things we see in Daniel. Uh, excuse me, here in Revelation 13 is connected with an Old Testament story in Daniel chapter 3. What other Bible story shows forced image worship? It's actually found in Daniel 3. So if you can turn there, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Daniel chapter 3. We are studying Daniel 3 this morning simply because Revelation is borrowing from the imagery here in Daniel chapter, in Revelation 13. So Daniel 3 is going to teach me some clues what may be connected with the mark of the beast. So Daniel chapter 3, and we will read, start with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of what? An image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and it's with six. six cubits and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So Babylon is a, a, a very big empire, many different provinces and Dura is not too far south of Babylon. So he sets up an image like you and I have never seen. 60 cubits is roughly how high? 90 feet high. Six cubits wide is roughly how wide? Nine feet wide. 90 feet tall. How tall is this building in the center? I know there's someone who has to know this, right? 25, 30 feet? 20. Okay, I'm so glad you're here, Melbourne. So we're looking at an image four times higher than the roof of the ceiling. I hope that gives you a little bit of perspective. Okay, nine feet wide. I'm putting my arms out, and the furthest out I can get is six feet, so add a foot and a half on either side. So we're looking at something that's pretty wide and very tall, and it's made out of what? Gold. Do you think this would be an impressive figure? Absolutely. There is no question it would be. So here it is. 
Verse 2 says, And Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. Now, Babylon's big. It has many provinces. One of those provinces happened to be Palestine and Judea. That's where Daniel and his friends used to come from. And we have some records in history. 594-ish. That there was a command that went out. Archaeology is pretty neat because it finds out all of these details. There was a command that went out asking key leaders of Jerusalem to come to Babylon. And they were coming for some very special event. And this is uh, very interesting. I think it ties in very well with what we're seeing here. There was a problem in the Babylonian Empire. You know what it was? People were starting to challenge the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. And he wanted to make sure that people recognized that he was the greatest. And he also had some motivation. He had just received a dream. Not just, a few years earlier. And that dream was a fascinating dream. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 2 that dream? It had a, a, he dreamed of an image, isn't that right? And the image, his head was of gold, his chest and arms of, bellowing and thigh of, bronze, that's right, his legs were made out of what metal? Iron, that's right, and the feet were of iron and clay. So that, there's a lot of things connecting here. We're not there yet, so let's continue. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of other provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the word that's used here is dedication. It's a dedication ceremony, but it's a little bit more that's about to happen. Let's continue reading. And a herald cried out, to you is commanded all peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship. Oh, so this is more than a dedication ceremony. The gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And... Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Soon as I read this, I say, wait a minute. There's a lot of phrases and concepts that I read in Revelation 13 are just repeated here. Let's look at them if you don't mind. Here's the Daniel 3 connection. First, there is a powerful kingdom. We saw a beast being mentioned or a kingdom in Revelation 13. Two of them, actually. There's a powerful kingdom here. Second, this kingdom sets up an, an image, sorry for my spelling there, made of gold. Does there a beast that sets up an image in Revelation 13? Absolutely. Let's continue. A decree is made to worship the image. Was there a decree made in Revelation 13 to worship an image? Yes, there is. Let's look at this. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 6. Those who refuse the worship are threatened with death. Was that the same thing as Revelation 13? It is. Daniel 3, 2. This command is for all the rulers of Babylon, and more than just that, 
all the rulers in the world. Do we see that in Revelation 13? Yes, all the world was commanded to worship the beast and the image what they set up. And finally, the number six is connected with this false worship. It's 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. Very easy to explain. This is some fascinating history, if you like mathematics. If you don't like mathematics, you can smile and pretend you do. It won't be long, no, it's just a, just a little bit, okay? So this is the Daniel 3 connection, very similar to what we saw in Revelation chapter 13. All right, so what, uh, let's just start out. What metal is Nebuchadnezzar using to make this image? Gold. So you remember in that image that was in Daniel chapter 2, how much of the image was gold? Just the top, right? Um, and that it was a symbol of what? Babylon, okay. How do, you, um, how do you think Nebuchadnezzar felt as he was listening to Daniel explain that after you will come an inferior nation made out of silver? How do you think Nebuchadnezzar felt? Maybe a little bit, I don't like that, that an inferior nation is going to come and take over from me. And then, of course, he hears of the troubles in his empire. He's putting all these things together in his mind, and he's saying, <laughs> we need to change things up a little bit. He met with his counselors, and his counselors said, by the way, everyone knew about the image dream. Remember? There was a decree that went out that all the wise men were to be killed, and they weren't killed, and everyone found out this image is very, very special. So when they, everyone knew that there was going to be another kingdom. And Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, we're going to change things up. And so instead of having an image exactly what he saw in the dream, he set up an image to show not only that he was the head of gold, everything is gold. Babylon is here to stay. Very, very fascinating thought process here. Um, he took a very clear statement from God, a, a, a dream from God, and said, I'm going to turn it around just a little bit to say something different. Yes? I'm going to turn it around to say something different. By the way, I believe that this would be a first clue. When we look into Daniel chapter 3, it might be giving us a clue that in Revelation 13, there will be a taking of the truth of God and twisting it so that it's no longer truth, but a counterfeit. Because you realize something here. When you just farm up error, most people don't want it. Am I right? People are willing to take something that looks truthful in some way or another. So what size does the king make his golden image? How high was it? 60 cubits, 90 feet, and how wide? Six cubits wide or nine feet. Of course, it was based upon six. Do you realize, um, <laughs> I found this fascinating. So this is a Babylonian magic charm. And they put this together. Um, they list numbers out in a specific way. Six rows of six, yes, because everything is big. Babylonians actually were the ones who really developed the sexadecimal system. Uh, how many degrees in a circle? Yeah, it's Babylonian, okay? Um, not, not a bad thing, right? I think we, we all are familiar with using it. Uh, how many minutes an hour? How many, how many seconds in a minute? Yeah, all these things are, they, they didn't just come about, right? Uh, if it was the French, we'd have 100 seconds in a minute, right? And 100 minutes in an hour, right? So, and I don't know how we do with the hours. Um, 
But this is, um, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because our metric system has its foundation in the French Revolution, if you like history. So there it is. So this is, uh, they felt that, that 36 was a mystical number. Anything connected with six was mystical, and they, they really enjoyed spending time playing with it. So just want to bring that out. Um, this kind of underscores the fact. Oh, by the way, if you add up, you see this, right? If you add up one to two, two to three, three to four, four to five, and just add up all the numbers between one and 36 together, what number do you get? 666. It was a special number to them. You and I sometimes, because we've studied Bible prophecy and we're based upon Bible foundation, we hear 666 and we kind of go, ooh, that's weird. But in a Babylonian mind, 666 was, oh, that's perfect. That's a number that just works well. And so they were very much uh, big into that. A second clue, as we're looking at, is this counterfeit worship is, kind of, is based to some degree on ancient pagan practice. There's a connection between ancient pagan, because this, this is from old Babylon, before Nebuchadnezzar's time. Nebuchadnezzar is what they call Neo-Babylon or the Chaldean Babylon, but this is from old way back to the Tower of Babel. There's something very special that was going on here. All right. So who bowed to the image when God gave the command? When the king gave the command, not God. Who bowed? Remember? Everyone did. Everyone was supposed to bow. Let's put it that direction. Everyone was supposed to bow. Um, the third clue is all the world is commanded to follow some kind of false worship. Let's look at the next one. Um, would you have bowed? It, 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 there's, I remember reading this. Um, if you're familiar with Uncle Arthur's uh, Bible stories, he said this would have been the ideal time to adjust your sandals, right? I, those of you who have grown up hearing this story, this is very common. Uh, just to say, hey, I'm, I'm just fixing a few things right here. If it looks like I'm bowing down, I'm really not, but that's just what it looks like. Um, because uh, self-justifying ourselves when we're in a tight spot is something that people do, right? And uh, you gotta save your skin. Think about it. If you died, who's gonna be around to share about Jesus? Right? That wouldn't make sense to die because uh, then there's going to be no representatives for Jesus around. There's all kinds of ways we can look at it. But um, the Hebrew, Hebrews did not, three of them. What were their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if I could just, yes. Can I ask you, what was their Hebrew names? That's right, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those are the three Hebrew names. Um, so they didn't bow down. Why do you think these young men didn't bow down? Because, I mean, they have this image there, the whole representatives from the entire Babylonian empire are there. Everyone's bowing down. The music's going. It's very clear that if you disobey, it's not pleasant, right? And, of course, our title of our, our talk today is Staying Faithful When Things Get Hot, right? How, how were they able to do? Why did they not do it? It's very simple. The Bible told them not to. Exodus chapter 20, you know this. This is the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, and thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. We cut out a little bit for the sake of the slide. But that second, that second commandment said don't do it. 
And these young men, I would like to describe something that's very important. They were in love with Jesus. Because they loved God, they weren't going to disobey. I have a feeling that if you're only obeying because you don't, you're afraid of him. <laughs> if you have something else that's more scary, you'll do that. But when you're obeying out of a heart of love, fear has no power on you. That's the only reason I know that they were obeying out of a heart of love. Because when you obey out of a heart of love, what has no power on you? Fear. What is, how does John say it? Perfect love casts out fear. So these, these young men, they're, they're in love with Jesus. I'd like to um, read what happens. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward. I'm reading from verse 8. Actually, I could almost tell you the story. Is that okay? There are some people who really have been jealous for some time about these Jewish immigrants who were raised to the top of the ladder right? Captives, slaves, former, who would you want them to be leading? And so this is their idea and their thinking. They're saying, we don't want them. And finally, at this big ceremony, everyone's bowing down. They catch sight of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing? I would say standing at attention, right? I don't know how they were standing, but they made it clear we're not bending over, we are standing up. We don't have a bad back. We're standing tall. And if they did have a bad back, they would stand up in the pain because they wanted it to be clear, right? No questions asked. Well, these people run to the king and they said, oh, king, didn't you give a command that everyone was supposed to bow down when the music plays? And Nebuchadnezzar said, absolutely. Well, there's some people who aren't doing it. You know those, those people that were promoted to, you know, from wherever? He said, bring them here. Now, when they come before him, Nebuchadnezzar knows something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are better than his other people, and he knows it. They don't make mistakes in their work. They're honest. They have integrity. He likes them. So as he's looking at them, he said, man, you're, you're good people. I like you. What's more, you're friends of Daniel. And I, Daniel's not there at that time. I wish I knew where he was. But Daniel's not there. And he goes, I know you. And so uh, it's possible that Nebuchadnezzar knew Daniel wasn't going to do it. And he liked Daniel too much. And he made sure Daniel didn't come. There's that possibility. But here it is. He looks at them and says, I'm going to give you one more chance. You know, maybe you didn't understand <laughs> that this is really important to me right now. You see, um, there's people who are challenging my authority, and a king can't have people challenging his authority. Please, could you just do something that looks like it? I, I don't know exactly how he spoke to them, but he was clear. And I love the response. Oh, by the way, after he does that, then he goes out to the threat. Because, you know, threats always work. But if you're not going to do it, we're going to throw you in here, and there's not a God in heaven who can save you from me. What a, what a threat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Christopher, thank you for reading it, says this. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I like the way it says it in the King James Version. We are not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we're really not worried about what you think. O Nebuchadnezzar, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What a statement of faith. Were they respectful? Absolutely. Did you see how they kept saying, O king? Over and over, they're saying, O king. They are respectfully saying, we will disobey. Respectful disobedience. Because they served who? God. What a, what a beautiful picture. And so they've been asked to bow. They're not going to because God had told them not to. You know, the Bible uh, talks about a group of people in the end of time that are kind of like that, remember? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. I want to emphasize this point. You will not keep the commandments of God out of fear because the greatest fear always wins. The only way you and I will ever be able to keep the commandments of God is out of love because love casts out fear. And when Satan attacks with his fear, because that's the way he likes to attack, he gives you flattery. When the flattery doesn't work, then he gets fear. And when he attacks... The only thing that's more powerful than that is love. Love is the most powerful thing, love for your God. So here we are. We are at this scenario. Fourth clue. I believe what we see in Daniel 3 is showing that there's a counterfeit worship, right? And that problem with that counterfeit worship is it contradicts God's clear express law. So that's the fourth clue that we have here as we're going into it. How does the king attempt to coerce God's loyal men? We've already looked at it. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, uh, actually, let's look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, some people said, Chuck, seven is a sign of perfection, so this is as hot as you could possibly get it. I'm willing to accept that. Others said, that's seven times hotter, so if it was 400 degrees Fahrenheit, it's going to be 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. That works for me, too. But somehow I know you couldn't get any hotter. They got those billows in there, right? And they just increased increased, increased the temperature. It got hotter and hotter and hotter, and so hotter, so hot, that um, notice what it says. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who was in his army. He got the strongest guys. Come here. I wanted to take these men. Have you ever wondered why he got the strongest guys? They weren't running away. You could have told them, walk into the fiery furnace, and they would say, well, you got to put us there. I think that's probably why he did it. They picked them up, and as they ran with these men and about to throw them into the fiery furnace, the men who were carrying them dropped dead. 
because the heat was that intense. I've been around some hot fires. I know what it's like to come back from a fire that you're burning, you know, brush or something like that and not have much of my eyebrows left. I'm, I've been there, okay? But this is not eyebrows being dismissed. This is so hot that when people are close to the fire, they die. Incredible amount of heat. And then it says this, it cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 22, therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, when you're making something in an age where you are out in the middle of a desert, you know what kind of furnace you are using. You, what are you using your furnace for? Making bricks, right? So this is a brick kiln of some kind. Um, I had the privilege, uh, if any of you have a chance to do some old travel and historic sites here in, in um, Massachusetts, take advantage of it. It's awesome. And one of those places is Old Sturbridge Village. And they have a brick kiln there. Actually, it's not a brick. It's for um, uh, making pottery. There's a serious temperature that's going on inside of that. And I want you to imagine a human being being thrown into it. And just in case you didn't know, verse 21 says, these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments. So when they make them know, they're fully clothed. They're being thrown in in all their maybe official fancy clothes. Fifth clue. There are some people who will stand faithful, just like those three men. Revelation 13 is talking about a very similar to experience. In fact, Revelation 13 is building on Daniel 3. There are going to be people in the end of time who will remain faithful. That's awesome, isn't it? That's good news. There will be those who remain faithful. Um, so does God allow his faithful followers to die in the furnace? I mean, in our story, where are they at right now? They've fallen down into the midst of the fiery furnace. I know we know the story, but I, I, I love how it describes it. Verse 24. Then, yes, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He throws them in, and the very next phrase says, he's astonished. Why is he astonished? And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did not we cast three bound men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth Form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, I've had some people say, Chuck, this is a... He looked like some kind of superior to a human being. But I want you to realize that Nebuchadnezzar has been taught a little bit about the Hebrew religion. One of his close friends in confidence is a man named Daniel. He knows some things and as he sees this image, he's like, this must be what Daniel's been talking to me about. 
Somehow, by the way, if you'd like to read some more on this, there's a book called Prophets and Kings that gives some great background to this. So he's looking and saying, wow, who, the son of God. Notice in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke. How close do you think he got? He's not too close. So he spoke. I might assume that he's raising his voice a tad bit. And he calls out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abegno, come out. By the way, did they come out before he told them to? I find that fascinating. They weren't fearful in the fire because Jesus was with them. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a difficult time, I'm kind of counting down the days so that time's over. Okay, God, it's getting a little hot right now. Whatever may be the reason, could you please speed up the process of my exit? Maybe the, the circumstances that I'm facing right now with my health is just too much right now. Could you please help it finish? Maybe the things that you're facing with your family, maybe there's relationships that are difficult. God, could you please speed up the process of this ending? And these men did not. There was no fear in the fire. There was faith in the fire. You know, it's faith in the fire that brings peace. May God give us faith in the fire. Because I have a feeling that there's not any brick kiln set up here on the Cape. But there are symbolic brick kilns that a lot of you face, and I know that. May God give you faith in your fire. There is Nebuchadnezzar. He is looking. He sees them. He calls them out, and I love it as they come out. Uh, verse 27. The satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. So all the people had come to, to worship the golden image. All of a sudden, everyone forgot about it. Golden, what golden image? This impressive 90-foot-tall, four times higher than our church statue made out of gold. They're not thinking about it anymore. They all want to figure out how in the world do these guys survive? They're surrounded. They come around him, and here's what it says. It says, as they surrounded them, they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. When you are living a life of faith, it doesn't mean you're not in the fire, but the fire doesn't have power over your heart. That's beautiful. And then it continues with this. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. See, I don't get that. We've been to our, camp, our, our church camp out, right? And you come back, whether you like it or not, you come back, you smell a little bit like smoke, am I right? So I'm singing around the campfire, I have guitar, we're having fun, we're enjoying ourselves, we're roasting whatever we're roasting over the fire, right? And when we come back, we 
we stink. Like smoke, right? And then for those who are a little bit more adventurous, I won't mention what age group that might be, but what happens is you might have singed hair on your hands or something like that, right? This three men are in a superheated brick kiln, and when they come out, there's not a singe, and we get it when we're roasting something. There is no smell, and we get it when we're having a pleasant time around a campfire. Amazing. Amazing that God can make sure that the effects of the fire have no lasting impression on us when we're in there by faith. When we're in there by faith. You know, um, God delivers his people from their fiery trial. You know, sometimes I, I, I wonder if that deliverance, do you often long for physical deliverance? I do. You may too, but I, I know I do. But the deliverance in the end of time is absolute deliverance. The physical, though this body may have problems. How does Job say it? The worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh, I'm going to see God. It's going to be okay because God is ultimately in charge and the effects of the fire will never be seen again. God will do that. He has promised to. You know, there is a, a question that maybe we should ask. And I'm wondering if I have a picture. Oh, yes. This is kind of obvious, but I thought we should point it out too. Who are they with in the fire? The Son of God, right? Do you, were they closer to Jesus because they were in the brick kiln? Wait, 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 let me just ask you a question. When they were standing on the plain of Jorah and they were looking up at that image saying, we refuse to bow, was Jesus physically there with them at that point? You don't see him, do you? No. But when they're thrown in the brick kiln, then you see Jesus with them. You sometimes experience a closer relationship with Christ because of the fire. I wonder if the difficulties we will face in the days of Revelation 13 are for the purpose of drawing us closer to God. If you have faith and no fear, the fire draws you closer to Jesus. Trust me, if I was right now being dragged towards a brick kiln, I can tell you the emotion it would be fear. But I'd like to think that if God had said, Chuck, here's where I asked you to do, and I did it, and then I'm being dragged toward the brick kiln, I pray by God's grace I can have faith. I ask for that because I know that that's where the greatest living is, in the hottest environment, with faith. So, our next clue, God will have a special relationship with those who stand faithful for him. No question. Seven clues from Daniel chapter three. The truth of God was somehow twisted then, 
It was based upon ancient paganism, and all the world was actually commanded to follow this false worship. These are things that we see in the story of Daniel 3 that I think give us some clues for Revelation chapter 13. Also, we see this. We see that worship was against God's law. There was going to be some who stood faithful. God was going to deliver them, and ultimately they would even have a more special relationship with him. Why did God allow this to happen? I like to close with this. Why did God allow these Hebrew young men experience this? Why couldn't they just have a normal day? Right? Just walk out and say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. In fact, even, even, even better yet, send a little message to Nebuchadnezzar. Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, O king, we're not coming because we can't bow down to it. And if we come, everyone's going to see us not bowing down. It's going to kind of make your ceremony not look good. So we're just, we're just not going to come, okay? And Nebuchadnezzar writes back, oh, thank you so much for sparing me the embarrassment. I mean, why couldn't it happen that way? Why did they have to go through a difficult time? Why did God allow it to happen? Yes, they had a closer relationship. We can agree to that. But there is even more than that. It's for a man, a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, verse 28 says, saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. And have yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. By the way, he still has a little bit of problem with forced worship. Have you sensed this? Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut in pieces, and their houses should be made an ash heap. But please note this, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. He saw it. If things had just gone perfectly well with that little communication and, and, they, and they never ever showed up, Nebuchadnezzar would not have this extra proof of who God really was. Why? I believe that sometimes your fire is that so someone else can also have faith. I believe it increases our faith, but I believe sometimes the fire that you and I go through is also for other people's faith. And I, <laughs> we'd be tempted to say, okay, God, can't you figure out another way to teach him? But God knows that fire builds faith in everybody. Standing faithful when it gets hot. I pray that God will give us the courage to live like this. But it kind of goes back to what we started out with saying. When I love him, I have no fear of the flame. Because perfect love cast out fear. You are going to face fear, maybe even today. You may face flames even today. But perfect love will cast out that fear. Ask him, God, the, the closeness that they had with you in the fiery furnace, I want to have that closeness. Ask him for it. 
Because I tell you, hot days are coming. But there's no fear when you know him and you love him and you're connected with him. Do you want to have that kind of experience? I know I do. Could you pray with me as we close? Father in heaven, we praise you for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We praise you because we saw that they had a love that was not conquered by fear. Their faith was strengthened, and we want to have that strengthening in our own lives. Bless each person here, each family that's represented here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.